Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to Devos with D. I am just super excited about what we're going to be studying in this upcoming series. Yes, we're beginning a new series. Um, again, I'm Pastor D, and this is Devos with D, and I'm from the Heights Church. So we're going to jump into the mysteries of Revelation. The mysteries of Revelation, because there's so much in that book. And there's just so much to be expressed, so much to share. Um, I don't know if I can do it in 30 minutes, but I'll have to do it within 30 minutes. Now remember, this can't be done in 10-minute sound bites. So you're going to have to stick with me, not be distracted. You're going to have to hang on and just decide, I am going to study out this book. And still, as we study these upcoming weeks, you still need to study even more if you want to find out more about the book of Revelation. So again, I'm very excited. I'm glad you would be willing to join me. And we're going to take each of these mysteries and look at them in depth. I can't look at all of the chapters of Revelation. There's too many chapters in the book of Revelation. It would take me probably years to really go through all of that kind of information. But I am going to go through some of those things, those symbolic things that people have just scratched their head about and said, what in the world is that? And why is that being said? And what is that all about? And whoa, that is really scary. Uh, yeah, some of you haven't read Revelations because you've heard about what's in that book and you said, oh my golly, I don't want to get into that because it's really scary. Yet, You'll watch horror flicks, but oh, okay, I'm not going to get into that. So we will get into the book of Revelation. And thanks again for being here. Those of you who are on YouTube, Facebook, or on Spotify just listening, I am just thrilled that you would come and start listening and studying with me again. Because remember, I'm going to be studying with you. As I go through these different mysteries, I'm studying with you. So again, let's look at the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is sometimes called the Revelation of John or the Revelation to John. It was written by the Apostle John. Now this is, I mean, hotly contested whether or not it's actually the Apostle John or some other John. I'm just going to go with that it's the Apostle John. The book itself said it's written by John. It even sounds like something John would say and the things that have happened to John maybe previously in the Gospel of John. It was written in the first century AD. They believe either was written around 60 AD or 90 AD. Uh, he wrote it on the Isle of Patmos. The ruling force at that time was the Roman Empire. And this book the book of Revelation focuses highly on eschatology. You said eschatology. That really sounds formal. Yeah, it, it really does. But all it means is the study of last times or the study of last things, the study of end times, or the study of last days. So there's many ways to describe that book. Also, eschatology can be looked at in certain ways. It can be looked at on an individual or a personal way, and you would ask yourself, what happens to believers or non-believers? Or is there a separation of the spirit, soul, and body? Or you can look at it from a global or cosmic framework, and you would be asking the question, what are God's purposes for the finishing of his plan of redemption? What is his plan for the new heavens and the new earth? 
So there is just, again, so much jam-packed in there, and I just am thrilled and excited and so ready to get into this and understand some of those symbolic things in this book. I have to tell you, this first part of the series where it's kind of a prologue because I have to set the framework. I can't just jump right into the book of Revelation without setting this framework. So please give me grace as we go through this prologue, so to speak. Listen to C.S. Lewis as he talks about end times. He says, for this time, it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every single creature. It will be too late to choose your side. Mm, something to think about there. Uh, you said we have to choose sides. You know, Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. You have to decide. Are you going to choose the way, the truth, and the life to get to God? Or are you going to choose some other way that is not the way? So, yeah, there are decisions to be made. Let's look at the historical setting. And why do we need to understand the historical setting? Because it helps us to see the book of Revelation as a real document. It's not a book of fiction. It is written to real people in real circumstances at a real time. It enables us to grasp how the original readers understood it in their era. It shows us certain literary forms, poetry and imagery. It gives us different languages and historical references to bring about pertinent context. Basically, it allows us to put ourselves into their shoes and almost literally go back to the first century. Hallelujah. So there were a lot of struggles going on during this time, during the first century. There were struggles between Christianity and Judaism. Christians were being persecuted. There were a lot of violent threats. There was a struggle between the Roman Empire and Christianity. There was pressure to conform to the Roman standards of doing things. Also, this book addressed or was addressed to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And Asia Minor would be what is present-day Turkey. And again, I said it was written either in 60 AD or maybe around 90 AD. If it was around 60 AD, the emperor would have been Nero. But if it was around 90 AD, the emperor would have been Emperor Domitian. And let's find out a little bit more about this emperor, because I had never heard of this emperor, believe it or not. He had been a general, and he was well-loved by the military forces. He was noted for bringing peace and stability along with fear and paranoia. He, the, the senatorial historians describe him or labeled him as a cruel tyrant. So that's a little bit about who Domitian was. Let's look at the Roman Empire, because I told you they were the ruling force. They ruled from England to Africa, from Syria to Spain. Their urban centers or their cities, their major cities, 
were wealthy and, you know, spoke of lavish living, very lavish. They were sophisticated and brutal. They were tyrannical and greedy. They were gluttons of food and physical delights because they were known for their orgies. They had a caste system. It was a three-tiered system. There were the patricians, the plebeians, and then slaves. So the patricians would have been like the Senate and all of the wealthy families or the prominent families. The plebeians are everybody else that falls out and they're not wealthy and they're not part of the Senate and they're not prominent. So they would fall into the plebeian class. And then under the plebeians was everybody else, the slaves. The Roman Empire, they were pagan worshipers. They had a plethora of deities. They had a pantheon of deities. They had 12 major deities like Apollo. Um, let me look, think again, Jupiter, Mars, Venus, Mercury. And so they had a lot of gods that were over different things. Like Jupiter was supposed to be the ruling god. Then they had emperor worship and they had an imperial cult. This imperial cult honored the emperor during his reign or in Rome after his death. The emperors in Rome could be declared divas after their death, thereby, thereby elevating them to the level of God or demigod. And let me slow down. I'm just so excited. I'm so pumped up. I'm so ready to go that I'm kind of stumbling over my words, but I want you to get this. I don't want to go too fast. I'm trying to get within that 30 minute range, but you know what? I need to slow down. And so you can get this. I want you to get every morsel. Worship could also be directed to their genius and it was a personification of innate qualities or what they considered a guardian spirit. So they could elevate whomever they wanted to a God status. But you and I know that if this person was a God, you wouldn't have to elevate them to be a God because they would be a God without anybody's help. Hallelujah. So let's move on. What were the first century events. And before I get into that, I want to just go back to the Roman Empire for a minute. So we talked about the imperial cult just a minute ago. And then I want to let you know that there were a bunch of compromising churches. There were a bunch of churches who decided, you know, I don't want to be persecuted because I see people being persecuted. I see a lot going on. The Romans don't like them. I don't want to be singled out. I'm going to do what the Romans say and still call myself the church. Well, you know what? There are people right now that are compromising church-wise. There are different denominations who have decided that they're going to change the Bible. They're going to add to and subtract from the Bible. They are just like the ancient days where there were compromising churches. Hallelujah. So I'm going back now to the first century. Let's get into the first century events. The population was 200 million people. At that time, Rome was the world's largest city. Women had little or no legal or economic rights, and Jewish girls could be married off at the age of 12 years old. The 
occupations at that time, the common occupations were camel driver, dung collector, shepherd, farmer, craftsman, soldier, or butcher. Those are just a few. That's not all of them, but that's just a few. Men met at public baths after they finished their jobs. And these public baths were more like, I'd say like a gym that we have now, these special gyms, because they would have the baths and then they'd have masseuses that would give a massage and then they have areas where they could exercise. So it was almost like a fitness center, so to speak. Gladiator fighting and chariot racing were the key public entertainment. So let's talk about the person who wrote this book, the Apostle John. He was the son of Zebedee, who was a Galilean fisher. So John was a Galilean fisher. I should say fisherman. He wasn't a fish. He was a younger brother of James, who was, they were cousins of Jesus, actually. So he was a younger brother of James. He was possibly a disciple of John the Baptist. John and his brother James were the first disciples to be called by Jesus. He and his brother were called the sons of thunder. John wrote five New Testament books. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He wrote the Gospel of John, and then he wrote the book of Revelation. It is debated what happened um, when he died, whether he died a natural cause, but most people think he did die of a natural cause in Ephesus, and he was the only apostle not to be martyred. So I told you he had written this on the Isle of Patmos, and I didn't really know very much about the Isle of Patmos. So let's look at where was the Isle of Patmos. It was a Greek isle. It was a Roman prison island in the Aegean Sea, and it was part of the Sporades or Sporades Islands. It was 60 miles southwest of Ephesus, which was a rocky and volcanic island. It is seven and a half miles long and six miles wide. It was remote, but it was not uninhabited. There was a town, a harbor, and there were temples to like Artemis and Apollo, and there were stadiums there. This is the only time that a location was mentioned where the writer wrote the book. And we believe that John was exiled in 95 AD to this isle. So what is the main message of the book of Revelation. Let's look at that. There are three things I want to share that I think are the main things. That God is in control. So you can be encouraged behind all the chaos, behind all the destruction, behind all the stuff that's going on, the mouths that are wagging. God is there. The second thing is it encourages us to walk by faith and not by sight. Although we have formidable foes, because yeah, people will come against you. We have the greatest enemy who is Satan. Christ has already defeated all of them. He said we could be of good cheer because he had overcome the world. 
The third thing is Jesus should be worshipped. Jesus is going to take mankind somewhere beautiful. It's going to all work out in the end. You know, you know, people always say, I read the end of the book and we win. We do. We are victors. The one who was sacrificed, he is the true victor and made us victors. Christ overcomes all. Listen to this quote from Sam Storms. Jesus will come bathed in radiant splendor, enveloped within an atmosphere of indescribable brilliance, surrounded by the ear-piercing praise of angels and saints, scintillating light shining from his eyes, irresistible power pouring from his hands. None will deny his beauty or escape its transforming energy. So what is it like to read the book of Revelation? Maybe some of you have read it. Maybe some of you read it during your devotional times. Maybe you read it clean through just the book itself, or maybe you did it a year through the Bible. You read the book of Revelation. But what is it like? I saw this article by a man named Dr. Andrew Corbett, and I wanted to share what he said because I thought it really described what it's like to read that book. And he used this example. You're downtown and you happen to look across the street over parked cars and see a close friend of yours walking. From your vantage point, the person is suddenly rushing intently to push a decrepit old lady out of the way. What would you think of your friend? Would your opinion of that person change? And especially if you later discovered that the cars you were peeking around had obscured your view and your friend was actually pushing the lady out of the way of a speeding sports car that was about to hit her. Sometimes a bigger picture changes the entire picture. We need to remember that our understanding of the book of Revelation can be obscured if we don't understand the history, the biblical language, and even any modern scholarly opinions. So there are a lot of things that we have to look at so that we get the entire picture and not just one person's viewpoint. And I'm going to end with this, because remember, we're just doing a prologue and then we're going to start to get into some of that, those symbols that are in the book of Revelation. Some of those things that probably you've asked yourself, some things I've asked myself, some things I've heard other people ask. So why read Revelation? It promises a special blessing to those who read and study it. It builds our confidence of the sovereignty of God because it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It provides the clearest portrait of the events that are going to occur during the tribulation period. It shows how seriously God views sin. And it provides a perspective on the purposes of God in human history. Wow. We're going to get into that. And I am just so, 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 so thrilled so, so just, I can't even tell you. I'm just worked up about it. 
I hope you are too. I hope that you will come back. I don't know how long this series will be. I'm not going to make it too long, but I want to get into some of those things that people always ask about. Can I know the be-all and the end-all? I tell you, no, I can't. I don't know everything. There is no way that you can know everything about some of these things that are in the book of Revelation. We can only try to understand it. And I know there are a lot of people out there saying, I know what's happening. I know exactly what these symbols mean. No, they don't. No, they don't. I know they hope they do, but no one knows exactly. So we'll try to pull some of these threads together and understand what God is speaking to us from the mysteries that are in the book of Revelation. Will you pray with me? Father, I just give you thanks and praise that you would allow us to come together and to have fun reading and studying the book of Revelation. We give you thanks and praise that we know that you are blessing us because of our willingness to do so. We love you, we adore you, we thank you for all that you do in our lives. And thank you for this challenge to get into this book. Thank you, Lord, that we're going to be enriched and inspired and that, Lord, we're going to understand things better by the time we're done. And we give you all the praise and all the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.